Hello, welcome to the Home with a Twist podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Austin Weeks. Growing up, pulling on my mother's apron strings, I learned to prepare fabulous food, entertain guests with style, and design a traditional home with a retro twist. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of the Home with a Twist blog, where I share my passion for finding joy in every day. Grab your coffee or iced tea, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, welcome to episode nine. It's the week of February the 25th, uh, 2019. It's the last week of February. I can't believe that March is next week. Um, but since Easter is late, kind of gives us a little bit of time to enjoy March and spring break and all the beautiful spring flowers. I know outside my house and my garden, my daffodils are blooming. My pansies are doing beautifully. And I'll tell you the secret to pansies is you want to get them in the ground like around October or November, um, usually right before Christmas. And we buy this container of pansy food from our local, local nursery. And near us is a nursery we really like called Callaway's. So whatever local nursery you have, pick up a it's uh, usually it looks like the size of a big jar of peanuts or a big jar of almonds that you might buy at Costco. And you just sprinkle them on your pansies after you first plant them and then about every six weeks. So we try to time it when we know it's going to rain. And if it's been at least six or eight weeks, we'll put a good sprinkling of pansy food. And then it, it, we get a really nice good soaking rain. And I tell you right now, the pansies that we planted are just huge and really compact and beautiful. I'll try to take a picture of the front of my house and put it on my blog or post it on Instagram or Facebook so that you can see um, that that's the secret really to keeping your pansies uh, beautiful throughout the spring season. So this week's episode is going to be totally devoted to sharing recipes with you. I think it'll be kind of fun. You can listen to it and then if you want to tune back in with a pen and paper, um, I might try if I've got time to post the recipes on my blog but it may just be an opportunity for you to sit down with a pen and paper and those recipes that you think sound interesting then give them um, write them down and put them in your recipe binder um, I don't know if you all have a recipe binder I got this idea from my best friend who has a big recipe binder in her kitchen so several years ago I just bought one of those great big white Oh, I think it's a three or four inch binder. And I just started writing down recipes that were ones that I always prepared and put them in my own handwriting because I have really found it now that my mother has passed away. I love finding recipes that are in her handwriting. And so make sure that you have plenty of recipes in your binders or stuck in your recipe boxes so that when you're gone someday, your children will be able to... Um, Find that very sentimental and make them feel closer to you if they have a recipe that's in your penmanship. So I got an email from a reader and it said, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I should have probably done this before 
I started the show, but this is live, so you can kind of see what this is like for me. So the reader is uh, said, I was wondering if you had any great easy food slash dinner ideas for friends that are in mourning, are recovering from surgery, ill, or just need a night off from the kitchen. I might also add that since my niece is uh, expecting twins, we are so excited, identical boys, we can't wait for that, um, that a new mom probably would fit in this category too. I'm looking for yummy, easy salad, main courses and desserts, prefer preferably something that can be frozen like a main dish in case the recipient isn't able to eat the food right away. Also, it needs to be able to travel well in the car. Nothing fancy, just a good comfort dish. So that is what we're going to focus on today. I thought it would be a little too daunting to give you all the recipes, so I'm going to break it down into installments. And this week is going to be main dishes, mainly casseroles. Uh, if you're a southern gal, you have perfected the art of a casserole. Casseroles have been served in my family for generations. I'm going to have to do a little bit of digging on in, on the internet and, or as Mother would say, goggle it and find out how casseroles came to be. I think probably a casserole became popular in the 70s when women were starting to enter the workforce and didn't have a whole lot of time to do a pot roast and two vegetables and a dessert and bread anymore. They just kind of wanted to throw something together. I would bet you that's probably when we saw the unveiling of the tuna noodle casserole, which is not on my list to share with you today. Although, you know, every once in a while, I can't tell you the last time I had a good tuna noodle casserole. That might be something to look into. Maybe I could come up with a really good recipe for tuna noodle casserole. But before we get started, I don't want to scare away anyone who's not a cook. If you don't know how to cook, if you don't have time to cook, if that scares you, but yet you still want to support your uh, friend that just had a baby or maybe someone that has just lost their mom and you just want to show up with a nice, uh, a nice dinner for them to enjoy, I have some options for the non-cooks out there. I think everybody could probably whip up a batch of taco meat. It's not hard. Uh, if this is going to be your maiden voyage at cooking, all you do is just take a couple of pounds of either ground lean ground meat, like ground chuck, or you could even do turkey, or you could do chicken, depending on, on the person that's going to be eating it. A couple of pounds of that, you brown it on a, in a skillet. Maybe you might want to put a little bit of olive oil in there just to get a little bit more flavoring. You're going to put your heat on about medium-high, and you're going to cook that ground meat until it's no longer pink. Then you go and you get you a package of taco seasoning mix and you follow the directions on the back. I like to buy my taco seasoning mix in bulk at Costco. It comes in a big jar and I keep it in the cupboard. That way I always have it and don't have to run out and get those tiny little packages. It's actually probably a little more economical to buy it in the big jar. It has a long shelf life. Or you could be super extravagant and efficient and make your own taco seasoning. I know that I that Paula Dean has a recipe for taco seasoning. If you just Google it or check out on Pinterest, you could probably make your own. Um, which could you could go to any of the grocery stores that sell spices in bulk and make your own. And that probably would be even more economical than buying the jar of taco meat. 
and you're going to follow the directions on the taco seasoning package which is basically adding a little bit of water and letting it simmer on the stove and then you've got your taco meat and then I would put that into a uh, plastic storage container that has a lid that you do not want back. Here's a public service announcement. Do not take a dish, a glass dish, that has to be washed and returned to you. That just creates more work and effort and burden on the part of the person that you're taking the gift to. Take something that can easily be microwaved and when she's done with it, if she wants to add that to her collection of plastic storage containers, she can. Or it could just be something that she could throw away. Amazon sells great uh, stored food storage containers. Since everybody's really into meal planning now and um, preparing individual meals for the week for lunches and for dinners, you can easily find those. And you can also find them in the grocery store. It's not hard. But do not take a beautiful Pyrex dish with a note that says, I'd like it back. That, that's just going to not work. Okay, so you've got your taco meat. I would just buy a box of shells or tortillas, and maybe you could do flour and corn in case the recipient has family members that prefer one or the other. And then I just would do fillings. I would do maybe bags of different cheeses, avocados, lettuce, tomato, chopped onions, maybe some uh, cilantro, and I would put those in individual Ziploc bags and just put that into a basket and there's their dinner. I mean, easy peasy. Kids love tacos. You could even throw in a couple of cans of black beans and maybe a couple of cans of corn or you could buy one of those bean corn salads that are in a lot of the delis as a side and maybe a bag of tortilla chips and a good jar of salsa and there's their dinner and that's perfect for someone who cooking is not one of your skills that makes you uncomfortable but you still want to show love and concern for your loved one. The other one would be subs. A lot of sub shops. Subway I think is fabulous. Um, oh there's other ones that you can go to. Five Guys. No, that's hamburgers. Although hamburgers would be actually be pretty good too. What's that? Firehouse subs. Just get and, and meatball subs are are yummy. And it's not something that we treat ourselves very often to. We try to be really good when we go to sub sub shops and buy things like turkey and roast beef and lean meats. But how about a good meatball sub if you know that the family are meat eaters? That would be a really yummy comfort food. And then just a bag of chips and call it call it done. The other thing is I love pizza from Whole Foods. Uh, I want to say about $15 for a really nice gourmet pizza and again you could go through their salad bar and make up a really nice salad because Whole Foods has beautiful a beautiful salad bar with some different toppings that you don't normally see in your standard, in your standard um, salad bar. Or if you are not a fan of Whole Foods, you don't live near Whole Foods, but you live near a Costco, you can't go wrong with one of the Costco pre-baked, um, my phone's ringing, pre-baked pizzas in the, the uh, food court. So that and then a, a bag of salad and, you know, there's another quick dinner, especially that kids would like. Now, fast food... I did this back when my niece had her first baby is we went through the drive-through at Rosa's which is a local 
Mexican fast food Mexican restaurant that the food is actually a little better than just Taco Bell and Taco Bueno. And they have fajita plates. And you can get a fajita plate that probably would serve easily six people. It's pretty generous. It has either chicken or beef fajitas and then the tortillas and all the toppings, rice and beans. And I think that might be like around $25. And so that's a nice pre-purchased, pre-made dinner that you could take to a friend. Okay, so those are all some ideas for you for food that you don't want to have to cook. Now I'm going to leap into recipes. And the first one I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to move over to my recipe pile, is one that was um, given to me years ago, oh, probably about 20 years ago, in one of my first jobs, one of my first positions at the university that I work at. And it's poppy seed chicken, and it's one of my favorites. And what I like about this one is it's very simple. It doesn't have a lot of ingredients. I'm not a big fan of mushrooms, and so a lot of people will put mushrooms in their poppy seed chicken. I'm a purist. I don't like the mushroom. It's basically two pounds of chicken breast that you've cooked, boned, and cut into bite-sized pieces. You can always buy chicken at the grocery store that's been deboned, cut, all of that, if you don't want to cook your own chicken. And then one eight-ounce carton of sour cream. Now, I've not tried this recipe using non-fat plain Greek yogurt. If you felt like the person would really rather have the Greek yogurt and not the sour cream, I would make this recipe first for yourself and see if you can taste a difference. I have swapped out Greek yogurt in other things like baked goods and have seen good results, but I'm not sure about this. The fat may be necessary in this recipe in order to get that richness. Then you also need a can of cream of chicken soup, one and a half cups of Ritz crackers that you have cr that you've crumbled, one tablespoon of poppy seeds, and a stick of butter. Again, this is comfort food. This is not healthy food, but I think when sometimes when people aren't feeling well, you can make an exception, especially if they're healing from surgery. They probably need something that's going to be rich in nutrients and a little bit of fat um, to help build up their strength. That's just my philosophy. I think every once in a while, if you indulge yourself in something like this, it's not going to be a big issue. Okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to put your chicken in a shallow 9 by 13 greased casserole dish. If you're going to put this in a casserole dish that you're going to give to the person, I'd still go ahead and grease it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a 9 by 13. It could be a square pan. You're going to mix your sour cream soup together in a bowl, and you're going to pour that over the chicken. And then you're going to take your crumbs from the Ritz crackers and your poppy seeds, and you're going to put mix that with the melted butter. And so you're kind of creating a crumbly topping that you're going to put on top of the chicken, sour cream, and soup mixture. So you sprinkle all of those crumbs on the top. If you want to go ahead and pre-bake it, you're going to bake it at 350 for about 30 minutes. Your chicken is already done, so you're not cooking it to bake the chicken. You're just cooking it to heat it all the way through so those, all of the soup mixture and the butter all meld together. 
if you're not going to cook it, then just put those directions on the top so the person can stick all of this in the freezer and then stick it in the oven. Uh, you might want to suggest to them that they leave it out on the counter for maybe about 30 or 40 minutes before they put it in the freeze into the oven to bake so that they're not adding a whole bunch more time to the cooking. So that's the poppy seed chicken. And I like to serve it with over rice. And here's your opportunity maybe to do something a little more healthy. You could do uh, brown rice and just make up a, a couple of containers of brown rice and then they could eat this for several days. If you wanted to add a vegetable, I'd probably maybe add some green peas or some fresh asparagus. And you've got a really yummy dinner um, that I think the, the family will really appreciate. Okay, the next one. This is Miss B's favorite. And it's from a cookbook that I got year, several years ago when I was doing, had my Southern Living business. And it's the name of the cookbook is Easy Weeknight Favorites. And I have a note on here that it's Phoebe's favorite, always wants it for her birthday. So I must have made this probably the first time, probably about 19 years ago when she was little. And we make it every year since. And whenever she comes home from college or she maybe is stressed, she'll call and say, can we have upside down pizza this week? So that's what this is called, upside down pizza. So this would be perfect for a family where there's going to be kids. So it takes about 10 minutes to prep this and it cooks in about 35 minutes. So it's not hard. You're going to take two pounds of ground chuck, which is translation for ground meat, one cup of chopped onion, one 15 ounce can of tomato sauce, and one envelope of spaghetti sauce mix. And you find that spaghetti sauce mix on the aisle where they have the taco seasoning, Oh, it's that aisle that has all of the packets, uh, beef stew, um, gravy, all kinds of little packets. It's just the envelope of spaghetti sauce mix. I think I usually get the Lowry's one. An eight ounce carton of sour cream, two cups of shredded mozzarella cheese, and one eight ounce can of refrigerated crescent rolls. And I like to actually buy the crescent rolls that are not perforated, that just have, that make one big sheet, because I think it's a lot easier. I think when this recipe was printed, they didn't hadn't invented those yet, had created that option, but I think that would be an easier option. Now, with shredded cheese, I never buy bags of shredded cheese, and here's why. They put a coating on it to help it to not stick together, and it's a preservative. And I think that it affects the melting, um, the way your cheese melts. So I prefer to buy blocks of cheese and shred it myself. I think it tastes better, it doesn't have that coating on it, and the cheese melts a whole lot better. Plus, I think you're saving a little bit of money because you're paying for someone else to shred your cheese. So that's my PSA for cheese. All right, you're gonna brown your ground chuck and onion in a large skillet over medium heat, stirring until the meat crumbles, is no longer pink, and you're gonna drain the fat off and then return it back to the skillet. You're going to stir in the can of tomato sauce and the spaghetti sauce mix. You're going to cook over low for about 10 minutes, stirring often. Then you're going to spoon the beef mixture into a lightly greased 9 by 13 baking dish. I actually like to put this in a square 9 by 9, but you can do 9 by 13. It's fine. It just makes it a little bit thinner, not as tall. 
And then you're going to top your beef mixture with your sour cream. So you're going to take a, a spreader and you're going to spread the sour cream all over on top of the meat. Then you're going to sprinkle with your mozzarella cheese. You're going to unroll your crescent dough roll and you're going to roll it over the cheese. And here's something extra that I have been doing that's not in this recipe, is I take a little bit of olive oil and a pastry brush. And I like to lightly brush the top of the crescent roll dough. And then I sprinkle it with a little bit of Italian seasoning. And what that does is it just kind of makes the crust look really golden and pretty and have a really nice flavor. You don't have to do that, but I think it just makes the presentation look pretty. And then I also do make a couple of little uh, slash marks in the top just to vent the food when it steams from underneath the dough. And then you're going to bake it uncovered at 350 for 20 to 25 minute, minutes. And then it really needs to sit for a few minutes before you eat it. Just kind of like lasagna, you wouldn't serve it right out of the oven. You need to let it sit. So I think that this recipe I've never frozen it before. You could try it, but this might be a better recipe to say, I'll have dinner at your house at 6.30 and you just pull it out of the oven and take it over there. You could try it, but I've never frozen it. All right, so that's upside down pizza. Now I'm gonna give you a recipe that's from my mother for chicken divan. And it is uh, something I asked her to cook for me every year for my birthday when I got to be an adult. Okay, it's called Chicken Divan, D-I-V-A-N. I have no idea why it's called the Chicken Divan, but anyway. You take two 10-ounce packages of frozen broccoli that has been cooked, two cups of chopped cooked chicken breasts. You can either cook those yourself or you can get them in the grocery store. One can of cream of chicken soup, half a cup of mayonnaise, and don't use light, non-fat, any of that nonsense. Just use regular mayonnaise for crying out loud. One and a half teaspoons of lemon juice. I think fresh lemon juice from Real Lemons is best, but if you don't have it, you can use concentrate. Half a teaspoon of curry powder. Two tablespoons of melted butter. One cup of grated, and I like to use sharp cheddar cheese. This just says cheese, but sharp is good. One cup of breadcrumbs, and I like panko breadcrumbs because they are a little more crunchy than just regular breadcrumbs, but it's your preference. And then she has this as an option, and I've never added because I just don't like nuts in my food, but you could add a quarter cup of chopped pecans or slivered almonds. I've always asked her to leave that out, so I don't think that it's make or break on the recipe. Okay, so you're going to combine your soup, your mayonnaise, your lemon juice, your paprika to make sauce. You're going to layer your baking dish that you've greased, and this could be like a 9x13 or a 9x9 dish. You're going to start with your chicken on the bottom, then you're going to add your broccoli, then your sauce, then you're going to top with cheese, and then you're going to combine your butter with your um, breadcrumbs and your nuts if you choose to use the nuts. You're gonna combine all of that to make like a little topping like you did on your last casserole. Sprinkle that over the top and bake for three, break it 350 for 30 to 40 minutes. And that makes a really good recipe. 
And then I would serve that also with brown rice. And since you've already got your broccoli in there, you probably don't need anything else. This might be a great casserole to take a jello salad, which I'm going to be talking about at our next installment when we talk about side salads. So, and I didn't give suggestions for the upside down pizza, but again, I probably would do maybe a Caesar salad and you could, you could buy the bags of that. Um, there's a really good recipe for green goddess dressing that Ina Garden has in one of her cookbooks and you could just Google Ina Garden green goddess dressing and make that with a salad. And then you wouldn't need any bread because the upside down pizza has bread on it. So th those could be two really simple side dishes. All right, let's see. Next, I'm going to share a chicken pot pie recipe and this is super easy. This is from a cookbook that I really like from an author named Jenny Rosenstratch. And she has a cookbook called Dinner, A Love Story. And she took a whole year to write out recipes that she made for her family for a whole year. And this is one of them. And I have made this so many times and it's so good. And it's a spin on chicken pot pie because it has sweet potatoes in it. So if you have a friend that, you know, was maybe trying to watch their potatoes because of the starch or the gluten, then you could take sweet potatoes. Okay, so this takes a little bit longer effort. So this might be a good thing to make on a Sunday, and then you could take it to them on a Monday. Um, the recipe calls for one cup chicken broth, and I have actually found that, in fact, I have a note here that I actually use two cups of chicken broth. One small sweet potato that you have peeled and diced, one medium carrot that you've peeled and chopped, a half a medium onion, leaves from two sprigs of thyme, fresh thyme, salt and pepper, a half a cup of milk, and she has of any kind here. I think I probably use whatever I have on hand, and that could be either 2% or if I've got a jug of whole milk because I've been making bread, really whatever you want. Two tablespoons of all-purpose flour, two cups of chicken that you've shredded or cut into chunks, like small bite-sized chunks, a third a cup of frozen peas, a store-bought nine-inch pie crust, and I like to buy the pie crust that you buy from Pillsbury that you roll it out. I think it tastes fantastic. If you're a purist and you want to make your own pie crust, knock yourself out. This would be the time for you to shine. And then one egg, lightly beaten. So you're going to preheat your oven to 425. And in a medium saucepan, you're going to bring your broth to a boil. Add, two, add the sweet potato, the carrot, and the onion, the thyme, and your salt and pepper. And you're going to simmer that for 15 minutes. Basically until your carrot and sweet potato are soft. And you can check that by sticking it with either a cake tester or a fork. While the vegetables are simmering in a measuring cup or bowl, you're going to whisk together your milk and your flour. Once your veg vegetables are soft, you're going to slowly add in the, the flour and mix milk mixture, stirring until the filling has thickened. And what this is called is kind of like a roux. And it's the flour that's working to try to make more of a gravy instead of a liquid, like a watery base. It's, you're trying to get it to be more of a gravy. 
So you're going to stir it until everything has thickened and you're going to remove the pan from the stove or from the heat source and then you're going to stir in your chicken and your peas. Then you're going to take your pie, um, your pie plate, and you're going to pour the filling into the 9 inch pie plate. And again, you could use a metal pie plate so you could just leave it with your friend. Then you're going to cover the pie crust with your, you're going to cover the, the pie, the, the filling, with the pie crust that you've got. You're going to cut a few slots on the top to allow the steam to escape and you're going to, un, you're going to curl the pie crust to the rim of the pie so that it's, you know, it's adhering. And you're going to use your pastry brush and brush the egg that you've beaten and do like an egg wash over the top of the crust. And what that does is it helps to give the crust a really nice golden sheen. So it's kind of shiny. It looks like those pies you see in the, in the really nice bakeries. And then you, I always like to put this, something like this that may bubble over, put it onto a cookie sheet that you've covered with foil. So if it does bubble over, it bubbles onto the foil, not the bottom of your oven, and then you can easily clean up the foil off the cookie sheet. So you're going to bake the pie for about 25 to 30 minutes until the filling looks bubbly inside. And I tell you what, it is gorgeous. Not many people get a home-baked chicken pot pie delivered to their door. You could, if you wanted to, um, you could do a salad. This is kind of starting to sound like everything goes with a salad. Um, you know, you've already got everything in there. You really don't need much else. Uh, maybe if you don't want to do the salad, you could do a bunch of really nice fresh fruit that you've cut up. And so they'd have a fresh fruit salad, a chicken pot pie, and then maybe take a really nice jug of uh, flavored tea and then call it a day. So everybody loves chicken pot pie. And it's really something they can just put into a bowl and sit around and watch TV or a good movie. And it doesn't have to be a big sit down ordeal. So that's chicken pot pie. And then the last recipe is one that I've made a long time and it came from an, a cookbook called the Fiesta cookbook and it kind of when I lived in Maryland it was one of my specialties because a lot of people hadn't had it before it's just chicken tortilla casserole again it has chicken in it um, you take four to six chicken breasts that you have cooked however you want to you could grill them you could boil them you could broil them and then you cut them into bite-sized pieces and you're going to take a can of cream of mushroom chicken, either a cream of chicken or cream of mushroom. It's your preference here. I think usually I do cream of chicken. One large onion that you've chopped. One can of chopped green chili peppers. And a small can of evaporated milk. Not sweetened condensed milk, but evaporated milk. One package of corn tortillas that you've torn into pieces and a pound of shredded sharp cheddar cheese and a pound of shredded Monterey Jack cheese. So you mix the first five ingredients into a saucepan. Your chicken, your cream of chicken soup or your cream of mushroom soup, your onion, your green peppers, your evaporated milk, and you just kind of pour the evaporated milk in until it's um, kind of a soupy consistency. You can put as much in or as little as you want. I, I wouldn't put the pour the whole can in to start. I just would start with a little bit and just keep adding. 
and you want that to kind of cook and get bubbly on the stove. And then you're going to do this in layers. You're going to put a layer of corn tortilla pieces in the bottom of a greased casserole dish. You're going to pour a layer of chicken soup over that, a layer of cheese, of the two different kinds of cheese. Then um, a layer of tortillas, then a layer of soup, then a layer of cheese. And you just, you probably want to try to do this so that you get at least three layers. So you start with your tortillas, then chicken, then cheese. Tortillas, chicken, then finish with cheese. Cheese would be your, your last thing to finish with. And then you're going to bake for 25 minutes at 350. And I like to garnish this with sour cream, black olives, guacamole, and take a bag of chip, of tortilla chips. So, and I have frozen the chicken tortilla casserole before, so I know for sure it would freeze. And I'm pretty sure the chicken divan would freeze, the poppy seed chicken would freeze. Um, I don't think that you should do the pot pie frozen. I think it should probably be fresh, although you could try it. I mean, I'm, pie crust is frozen, but I don't know how the sweet potatoes would do. So those are my suggestions on main dishes. Um, you know, my experience in working with people as a, a lay grief minister at my church is that you don't wait until people ask you because they'll never ask you for help. We're just geared that way to not want to inconvenience people even when we're suffering. So um, I think the real difference is that you just need to take ownership and say, hey, I'm bringing you food. First of all, tell me what are your dietary limitations. Second of all, what day of the week have you been, what would you like your food? Um, and if they say, you know, we've got so much food now, say, great, I'll check back with you in another week or so and I'll bring you something. One of the installments I'm going to do is talking about how a breakfast meal is actually really nice. We get inundated with all of these dinners, but very little do people bring us something for breakfast. And I just, breakfast is my favorite meal of the day, and I especially love waking up knowing I've got something homemade, I've got fresh fruit waiting, maybe some good yogurt, a good coffee, and so we're going to talk about some things that you can do for breakfast. So in episodes ahead, we'll do salads, side salads, desserts, and some breakfast ideas. And then that should help cover you for building up a little, you know, maybe a small little section of your binder that's for food you can take to a hurting friend or a friend that's recuperating or a friend that just needs a break. Uh, maybe they've got a lot of things going on in their lives and to have someone come and bring them a meal you know what, and the other thing too is that you don't have to wait to take someone a meal who needs it. You can just take it just to be a nice person. So um, that is it for my food. But I want to finish with a sweet little story that happened to me at church last week. Um, I have gone to this church now, oh I guess probably 10 years is how long our churches have merged. And before that, my husband and I went to a different church, and um, it was a church that was primarily older folks, and it was in a neighborhood that was not growing, and it was kind of hard to get to, and the church was kind of stagnant. And there was another church that was not too far from ours that was kind of in the same position. But, so the district, the United Methodist Church, decided, let's try to propose the idea of these churches merging, and 
it was a, it was a process that involved a lot of different variables and ultimately the two churches vote, voted to merge and that was about 10 years ago so what that meant was that our church and the other church would merge and move to this new church under a different name a different identity and just start afresh as one big congregation and it has just been a gift from God it's just been wonderful but during the time that I was attending the other church, I got to I met this man who was my dad's age, and his name is Russell. And he was a former or a retired Methodist minister. And I hadn't seen him in years. And I happened to be standing outside of my Sunday school classroom last Sunday, greeting people that were walking by and waiting for us to start our Sunday school. And there was a friend of mine who had lost his wife. A little over a year ago and we were chatting about how he was doing and Russell who didn't remember me or, or even probably know me walked up to my friend that I was talking to and said did you ever happen to meet a man and he's talking to my friend Ron he's not looking at me at all he said did you ever happen to know a man named Raymond Reeves and Ron looked at me and I don't know that Ron knew that Raymond Reeves is my dad but Ron looked at me, and I looked at Russell, and he, so Russell continued to say, I had a dream about him last night. Well, Raymond Reeves is my dad. And so I looked at Russell, and I, I put my arm, my hand on Russell's arm, and I said, Russell, Raymond Reeves was my daddy. And he said, oh, I had a dream about him last night. We were building something with wood. And I said, well, that's kind of interesting, seeing how Jesus was a carpenter. They probably were. We're building something really great up in heaven. He said, I want you to know that all the years that I was a pastor, and I pastored churches, and of all the men I've ever known in my life, and Russell's probably in his 90s. If, I think he and Daddy were the same age. He said, your dad was in the top ten of men, the greatest men that I ever met in my entire life. And I tell you, that just brought tears to my eyes. Because what are the odds that I would be standing outside of a classroom, talking to a man, just having a casual conversation, <clears throat> and have one of my daddy's walk, one of my daddy's friends walk up, and we'd have this conversation. You know, God does that in our lives every single day. He creates opportunities for us. And I, I just see that every day. And all the things that we say are coincidences, there are no coincidences in life. So I just thought that left me the whole day with such a great feeling that, that someone appreciated and recognized and acknowledged the greatness of my dad. And it was in such a I don't know, such an unusual, um, unexpected way. And it just really blessed me. And I hope that it, it blessed Russell. So I hope in the coming week that you are open to receive those moments of coincidences and you embrace them. And be sure to let me know if you try any of these recipes, either for your family or you take them to a friend. Or maybe there's a recipe you'd like to share. I would love to have it. I always, I think, having getting a recipe from someone else who's made it or it's been in their family 
is probably the best kind of recipe because there's a lot of love behind it. So you can reach me through homewithatwist at gmail.com. You can send it to me on Facebook, which is also Home with a Twist. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Home with a Twist. And please, please share um, how much you enjoy my podcast and my blog with your friends. I really appreciate the kind, sweet comments that you send me um, when you read my blog or when you um, see my stories on Facebook or Instagram. And I will try my best to put some of these recipes over on my blog. But in the meantime, listen to it again, like it, so that I will get more listeners. And until next time, remember to seek joy every day. And I'll see you soon. So that's a wrap for this week's chat. I want to thank my sponsor, Jabbo's Ace Hardware. Locally owned and operated, Jabos strives to be the most helpful hardware store in our community. Shop any of their three locations in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I'd love for you to visit my blog, homewithatwist.com, for today's show notes and recent posts. Follow me on social media at Home with a Twist. Thanks for listening, and remember to celebrate every day.